0: It's never been done before, so we need planning, a large crew. Guns? Exactly. A lot of security, but the take. What's the target? Eight figures each. What's the target? When was the last time you were in Vegas? Welcome to the now-playing Ocean's Movie Retrospective Series. Why do this? Why not do it? When that perfect hand comes along, you bet big, and then you take the house. That's why we need to be very careful. Very precise. You gotta be nuts, too. And you're gonna need a crew as nuts as you are. Who do you got in mind? Hosted by Arnie. I owe you from the thing with the guy in the place, and I'll never forget him. Jacob! else well, is on the list. He is the list. You think we need one more? You think we need one more? All right, we'll get one more. And Stuart. It'll be nice working with proper villains again. But what am I saying? You guys are pros. The best. I'm sure you can make it out of the casino. These podcasts contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. You're in or you're out. Right now. Listener discretion is advised. So are you sure you're ready to do this?
1: If you ever ask me that question again, Daniel, you will not
0: wake up the following morning.
2: Today we're discussing Ocean's Eleven. Starring Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, Sammy Davis Jr., Peter Lawford, Angie Dickinson, Richard Conti, Cesar Romero, directed by Lewis Millstone. This is the now playing host that, when combined with ladies' makeup, can make for some very interesting nights.
3: Arnie. Stewart in LA. I'll consider mistress, plaything, toy for a night, podcast host, but I refuse to be your mother. This is Jacob. So we are discussing Ocean's Eleven, and I'm just... Listeners,
2: you could just copy and paste what you wrote when we reviewed The Detective as part of our diehard retrospective, because (laughs) there's no George Clooney or Brad Pitt here. I never
1: thought we would ever cover Frank Sinatra movie, and now this is the second one.
0: (laughs) What
2: away
1: from golden
3: headphones, yeah. (laughs)
1: Yes, he was the star of the first Die Hard movie, and now he is the star of the first Ocean's Eleven movie, a franchise I don't know very well, but I did know that this existed as a 60s Rat Pack, the first Rat Pack movie. I knew that Clooney and the crew remade this, so it wasn't coming out of left field that we were going to cover it when we decided, okay, it's the holidays, let's do Ocean's. What, What was the process, guys? I know there's a little bit of Christmas in this, but it's hardly a holiday movie.
3: That's more of a New Year's film. We're gonna ring in the New Year with a party. We got lots of New Year's in this one. There you go.
2: Yeah, I was happily surprised. Stuart, every retrospective we're doing, you're like, where's the Christmas? Well in the first movie, Maniac in this, it's set at Christmas. What more do you need? Yeah, I, I, it's there if you want
1: it, and I do think of these as being a party movie. I mean, my knowledge, I've never seen Ocean's Eleven 1960 before now, but my awareness of it was that it was just like they invited a crew to come over, get drunk, and someone brought film cameras, and they just made something. That what we're going to watch today, not heavy on plot, but hopefully a good time. That it's basically about watching people that you love, cool guys, get together and riff.
2: I'm no fan of the Rat Pack, but I am going to be the resident fan of Ocean's Eleven, the modern series. I've seen all three of the modern films. Uh, Just because I'm the fan doesn't mean I like all three of the modern films. We will get to them in the next few weeks. But I've never gone back and watched the original 60s one. I've seen it on, like, television classic movies when I'm channel flipping. But Sinatra, 60s, Rat Pack, never really felt the urge to turn it on, but... I did invite the chance to do it. It's kind of been like I like the remake so much. Let's see what the original had that Steven Soderbergh decided. That's what I need to do next.
3: Yeah. And I feel like I'm kind of the skeptic here. I've seen the remake of Oceans 11. I even saw Oceans 12 somehow remember nothing about it. I know I've seen it. I'm pretty sure I've seen it, but I, I was never compelled to follow this franchise. And I've, this is my first time viewing the 1960s Ocean 11, but I know how it ends. I know all the differences because I remember my dad recounting it after we saw the remake of Oceans 11. So this is kind of spoiled for me. I kind of knew what to expect coming in.
1: I guess I'm the newbie. I saw the George Clooney Oceans 11 once. As a rental, probably while I was doing other things like cleaning my room, I have vague, warm memories that it was kind of fun, but I didn't really pay attention to it. To me, it it didn't seem like it was worth studying. So I'm coming into this really having no idea other than it's got a really cool plot. I mean, come on. Heist movies can be fun, but a heist movie in which we rip off Vegas casinos, rip off the people that rip us off, who isn't (laughs) in for that?
3: And I do love heist movies. That's one of the things I was excited about. Even going back, you know, with our track record with older films, even watching this 1960s Ocean's Eleven, I like a heist film. I want to have a good time watching someone get ripped off.
1: Yeah, I'm with you, Jacob. It can be really fun to watch uh, stings and heist movies. You know, it's a chance to be clever. I like to be surprised. And these movies, they're all predicated on that. They show you one thing and
2: then voila, they do something behind their back. I like a good heist movie. I'm not sure if I like the Rat Pack. I mean, you asked why are we playing this at Christmas? The only time I really ever think of Frank Sinatra, Sammy Davis Jr., I mean, they sing a lot of Christmas carols, right? I don't know a whole lot about the Rat Pack.
3: Yeah, nor do I. I know this is a Rat Pack film. Besides Davis and Sinatra, I knew Martin was in the Rat Pack. I don't know who else was, though.
1: Yeah, I think really five of the guys in this cast are considered true Rat Pack, and then we got six others that come in in varying levels of importance. But yeah, everyone knows Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin, probably Sammy Davis Jr. If you're a little bit more up on it, maybe Joey Bishop, Peter Lawford was in there as well. It was basically a bunch of entertainers that hung out with Humphrey Bogart in the 50s. And when Humphrey died, uh, Frank kind of became the leader of the clan. Chairman of the board, right? Yeah. Yeah, sure. And so they eventually decided, hey, these guys deserve their own movie. You know, it happens with all successful musicians. Let's give them a movie. Typically, I associate musicians trying to act as being some of our worst films. The Bodyguard, Glitter, The Graffiti Bridge. Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park. Body of Evidence. I mean, the list goes on and (laughs) on and on. But yeah, these guys had style. They definitely defined sex appeal for that era, To me, it's kind of historical. It's fun to go back and look at a time capsule and just kind of see, all right, so what did these guys have? What do they bring that made them such a sensation? That's what I'm hoping
2: to see here. I don't expect to see Academy Award winning acting. See, I knew the names. All the names you've listed, I've heard. And I think it's because I do own, like, the Rat Pack Sings the Holidays songs type CDs and whatnot. I know them as musicians. And this was my real first experience watching this crew. And Sinatra was a lot younger here than in The Detective. That What year was The Detective?
1: Well, not a lot younger. He's in his early, mid-40s. 40s here, he was 52 for The Detective, so yeah, he had about 8 more years after this film, but he's still a a senior at this point, middle-aged. By far, far into his career, all these guys were established Vegas acts. And keep in mind, Vegas is still a relatively new thing. The Flamingo didn't open until after World War II ended, and really, all of the casinos that they're going to rob are ten years old or less. Wow, that's incredible. Vegas hadn't really had its spotlight yet. Elvis hadn't made "Viva Las Vegas." James Bond. It would be a decade before "Live and Let Die," and Roger Moore would go there. It hadn't quite
2: happened yet. I think this is one of the movies. That made Vegas happen in pop culture. Yeah, I watched the Blu-ray extras, and they certainly talked quite a bit about Vegas and these guys. I mean, if I credit this film with nothing else, I will give the Rat Pack the stamina that they were doing a midnight show that went till 2 a.m. and then hopping in the makeup chair and filming from 2 a.m. till 6 a.m. when the sun came up and then doing their lounge acts the next night. I mean, I'm not sure how much of this was really let's make a movie for a movie (laughs) and how much... Hey, these guys are already in Vegas, so might as well just use their time.
1: Yeah, I I wouldn't be surprised. Typically, you don't put a lot of demands. Frank Sinatra had already acted. It should be said that, you know, he had Man with a Golden Arm. He had done another movie with Dean Martin that was a serious drama. He had Chops from Here to Eternity, an Oscar-winning film. He probably, out of the bunch, would be the most legit But yeah, everyone else is a singer, first and foremost, that's come here to play and probably have a few too many martinis.
3: Yeah, and we'll get some musical numbers in this. I was surprised, actually, there weren't more. I I thought there'd be a lot more impromptu performances.
1: Yeah, I agree. I was surprised by the content of this. So, Arnie, why don't you give him the plot? We can get into it.
2: Danny Ocean, played by Frank Sinatra, is a man who lives from card game to card game, his unstable life even causing the end of his marriage to Beatrice Ocean, played by Angie Dickinson. In this film, Ocean rounds up ten of his buddies from their World War II Airborne unit with the goal of pulling off the ultimate heist, robbing five different Las Vegas casinos at once on the New Year's Eve. The group consists of Peter Lawford as Jimmy Foster, Richard Conti as Tony Bergdoff, Joey Bishop as Mushy O'Connors, Henry Silva as Roger Cornel, Buddy Lester as Vince Masler, Richard Benedict as Curly Stefans, Norman Fell, yes, Mr. Roper, (laughs) as Peter Reimer, Clem Harvey as Lewis Jackson. These names get less famous as I go down the list. (laughs) I don't know who that is. (laughs) But I did leave out Dean Martin, who is Sam Harmon, the only reluctant member of the group who thinks the scheme to be ridiculous and overly dangerous. But he eventually agrees, and the goal is each of those ten men will pair up and rob a casino at midnight when they've planned a power outage. But the linchpin of the plot is the eleventh member, Sammy Davis Jr. as Josh Howard, a garbage truck driver. Each pair of men will put their loot in the casino trash, and it's up to Josh to gather the loot and hide it in the dump. The plan seems to work until their electrician Tony has a heart attack and dies right on the strip, putting the police on the trail of the gang. The plot is actually uncovered by Duke Santos, a rich businessman who's about to marry Foster's mother. When Duke learns that Foster is in Vegas and not on the beach as he'd lied to his mother, and that the dead man was in the same airborne unit as Foster, Duke puts two and two together. He makes a deal with the casino owners for 30% if he can recover their money, but then offers Ocean and his crew secrecy for 50%. But Danny and his gang have one last plan. They recover the loot from the garbage dump and hide it with Tony's body in the coffin, thinking the body will be flown back home and then they can take it. But Tony's estranged wife decides to save a little money and have the man cremated in Vegas, and so the crew is helpless to do anything but watch as the money literally goes up in flames. Dejected, depressed, and one man down, they walk down the Vegas Strip as credits roll. So... I was coming to this a fan of the remake of Ocean's Eleven, a preview, what I have thought of the movie. I haven't rewatched it in a while, but a fun romp that was mostly a comedy. So to come here and watch a whole bunch of World War II vets have their friend die and then burn up their millions, a little bit of a different movie, I'll just say right off the top.
3: And that is the thing I remember my dad telling me, that in the 60s, you couldn't have the criminals. You might like them. It may be Sinatra, but they couldn't get away with the robbery, so they had to lose the money. That's the one thing I remembered coming into this.
2: Well, the tagline of this movie was, in any other town, they'd be the bad guys. So I still think the thinking was, you're not too bad if you're robbing a casino, because the casino robs everybody else.
1: Yeah, and they're also war veterans, heroes of the time. I mean, yeah, they do a hard sell, keeping reminding you that, yeah, these guys aren't criminals. They kind of imply that the criminals run Vegas. You know, it's the mobsters that have all of those connections. So, yeah, if they're ripping off some mobsters and the mobsters rip you off, eh, it's not so bad. I wasn't sure if they'd get away with their crime, but I did think it was pretty risky as their
3: first movie to sell these guys as hoods. And I do think the most interesting thing about this film is that they are World War II vets, and that's what qualifies them for this heist, that they have to be highly disciplined. They can't have... Uh, criminal backgrounds they can't be sloppy criminals i thought that was interesting they mentioned it a lot i don't think there's really any kind of commentary about you know post-war america going on but it was the best thing about this film i'll just say that
2: yeah i mean let's kind of go through it but to start off with the opening credits
3: (sighs) i thought i was watching sesame street (laughs) yeah sesame street put at half speed it takes forever for them to count to 11 my
2: god
1: Okay, Saul Bass is a beloved animator who did just about every title credit sequence from a movie in the 1960s. All of Hitchcock, Psycho, Vertigo, all of the famous ones. This is his style, and it usually pairs it with some kind of bebop jazz kind of stuff here. I think this is fun. I don't think there's enough xylophone in today's pop music, quite frankly.
3: Hey, I like the music. It's just that these credits are so damn slow, and it's, it's like, one, two, and then I get a name, and then we go another four numbers, and then I get another member of the rap Pack. It's like, they couldn't even give me a name with each number. It's just, move on. Let's get with this, film.
2: I completely agree. I think that if each number had had a name, and the names had been names, <laughs> and not who the hell is this guy, I probably would have gone with it. But the fact that it's like, I'm praying for one, two. it's Praying! Like, it's like James Bond gone on slow-mo. It was kind of like, it reminded me of the Casino royale opening and i'm talking about the woody allen one but much slower
1: <laughs> yeah well if they, you guys are praying for the credits to move along faster i can't imagine how you're dealing with this
2: film i mean <laughs> not oh well i
3: say <laughs> uh, c- come on so we get to the opening for some reason they want to call out that it's christmas in beverly hills not a plot point but uh, we talked about, okay, the rap pack. Are they improvising? Like, we get 10 minutes with Sinatra and Lawford doing prank calls, and I don't know if this is supposed to be funny. Maybe if you're into Sinatra at the time, this was hilarious, but, man, I, I'm just confused. I, what is going on? <laughs> it's not 10 minutes, Jacob. It's 54 <laughs> minutes
1: before Frank Sinatra tells everyone what the plot of this movie is. It is a bachelor party, right? These are guys that are getting together. They don't even know the reason why. They're we're just there to have fun and drink. And I agree. It's a weird vibe because it's a lot of people that are amusing themselves but we're not necessarily amused by anything that they're doing or saying. Sometimes I will say that there were a lot of credited writers that came in and out of this, and some of them were great. Some of them came from an era where it was that screwball comedy and you had that mile a minute comedic patter style. I can see those influences here. There's lines that make me smile here and there, but by and large, I'm watching people entertain themselves. I don't know
2: that I'm entertained watching them. And comedy, in my opinion, is the thing that dates absolutely worst in any medium, be it listening to old record albums that my grandfather left me of stand-up comedy from the 40s to movies and TV shows from the 60s. Hell, I have trouble even getting into Cheers and Night Court anymore because that humor is so damn dated, and that's just from the late 80s.
3: Yeah, only in this pre-Civil Rights could you make a joke about repealing the 14th and 20th Amendment to a black man about how you want to have slaves again. Okay, they want women slaves, but come on.
1: (laughs) Davis is an awfully good sport about it. Uh, Yeah, he definitely has some laughs at his own expense here. Not only with his race, but his glass eye. At some point, he's talking about his glass eye. He he just had that accident like five years ago, and now it's a punchline. They make a glass eye joke? I missed that one. Yeah, no, he's saying that that's the reason why his baseball career didn't work out.
2: Ah, well, the scars were clearly visible. I mean, it was kind of uncomfortable knowing which eye was glass, but... Sammy Davis is probably my favorite of the crew. I really like his singing. I don't know why he's singing EO 11 (laughs) instead
3: of Ocean's Eleven. I mean, why EO? I don't know. Do garbage men get together like before the (laughs) dawn and they got to go out and collect garbage and just sing a few show tunes? I thought this was a musical.
1: I, honest to God, thought, come on, look at who's in this cast. I thought we would be getting a song in every scene. I thought the reason why it would take 55 minutes to get to the plot is because everyone was going to hog the mic. But really, Davis is the only one other than Martin that gets a a number. And his number feels natural. Like, Martin is just drunk at the piano (laughs) trying to do kick in the head, sometimes successfully. But yeah, Davis is the only one that has a a show number that I expect. That, yeah, for whatever reason, he and a bunch of guys are are goofing around with a harmonica, and EO11, I did some internet research. I had no knowledge of this. I needed to know what the hell he was talking about. It's a craps reference. When you're playing craps, you roll 7s, you roll 11s. The croupier tends to yell out EO11 to make sure that you understand it's 11 and not 7. So basically, it's a winning
2: roll. Ah, thank you for answering that. I just thought... Maybe they were doing a single where he would sing Ocean's Eleven, but that was just a little too (laughs) on the nose for in the movie.
1: I like that. Yeah, I thought that, yeah. I mean, EO are the initials for Ocean's Eleven in reverse, but I believe me, I tried every way to figure it out in my head before finally some Googling uh, got me to an answer that makes the sense. I don't know if
2: that's the truth, but that's the one answer I found that seems to make sense. My next question, Eleven. Why Eleven people? You mentioned Seven or Eleven are good roles and craps. Why not Ocean's Seven, where it's one guy per casino, and then the planner, and then your garbage? Guy, or something, because 11 characters is like five too many in order to give them screen time and make them matter. I mean, we start off, and as you mentioned, the first 50 minutes of this movie is introducing us to. About five of the eleven, and then the other six just show up, and I mean, other than Norman Fell and a guy who I thought was one of the odd couple and wasn't, it's just their faces, and they don't have plots, they don't have arcs, their bodies I don't know why we need 11. It seems overpacked.
1: I like the idea of having a big cast. To me, that can be fun. When I think about big, broad farces, the more the merrier, right? When I think about bad farces, I also think about more the merrier. Casino Royale, Woody Allen, you pointed out, or 1941,
3: the Spielberg movie.
2: Neither one would I recommend.
3: (laughs) And next week, I'm sure we'll talk about this because it's a remake of this film. They do it much better here. I am confused. I'm trying to write down names. There's Mushy. There's Curly. There's Tony, who's in jail, so they can't use him. But then he's getting out of jail. But then he doesn't – like – Yeah, all these characters, there's Louis Jackson who's in Salt Lake City, and again, I I don't know what the joke is. They're like, oh my gosh, he's in Salt Lake City. I don't know why that's funny in 1960.
2: Because he's not in Beverly Hills. I think that they're supposed to be all gathering, and the joke is they're going everywhere except to the planner's house to get the group together and start this big heist
1: the joke is nobody knows why this is such a movable feast but sinatra you know sinatra i mean if you know nothing else the movie's called oceans 11 danny ocean you're gonna pay attention to him
2: he has the plan but he doesn't have the plan he gets the plan from his friend the criminal who can't uh, go along he's not even one of the 11 (laughs)
3: yeah spiros the idea man
2: yeah so Spiros has this idea that Danny Ocean is going to spearhead, but yet I get that Ocean isn't necessarily a criminal so much as just a maybe a grifter and a gambler, kind of a Lando Calrissian type I suppose, and that why he is going to do this majorly illegal heist, I don't know his motivation.
1: I don't know that there's a strong one. I do know that when they approached Frank Sinatra, the real person, about doing this script, he made the famous joke of, Why are we talking about it as a script? Why don't we just do it for real? I mean, it's a great idea. The reason why you do it is because no one's done it before, and it you got a really clever plot, it sounds like fun. It sounds like you'll make out like a bandit. I mean, money. Does it really take much more than that? These are all high-stakes gamblers. These are all trained military men that had another operation. He does mention the fact that during the war, they were in a rubber raft with $6 million of gold bricks. So I don't know what exactly that was, but I guess they've had opportunities to profit from war spelunking before, and now they feel entitled to because, hey, it's 15 years beyond World War II ending.
3: Yeah, but even with Ocean, I I agree with you, Arnie. I don't know what anyone's motivation is except their con men. And so why not do this? But they're not really even con men. I mean,
2: the key is they're military men. And the ones who we get to know seem to be layabouts. They don't seem to be hard workers. They don't seem to have day jobs. Only one of them is a bit of a criminal getting out of prison Tony's the only one that
1: matters. Let's just put it this way. There is no plan without Tony. And Tony's not one of the famous ones. I don't know Richard Conti. He seems too old and unmusical to be hanging with this crew. But he is the electrician. He's the guy that's going to cross the wires that are going to allow all these people to get into the cages and rob the safes. Without him, no plan, no profit, nothing. You don't have a heist. It should be Ocean's
2: One. It should be called (laughs) Tony's One. Yeah, and Tony is just got out of prison. His wife won't see him. He has to visit his kid in school, but he can't take him out of the boarding school for a day at the movies. And he has cancer. I mean, this guy says it himself. He is just nothing but bad luck. And by including him on this heist, they are just screwing themselves.
1: And this is a classic trope from everything from the Anderson tapes to Breaking Bad, having someone with a life affecting illness where they don't think they're going to live. And so that allows them to gamble on a crazy plot. That's something I've seen time and time again. I think it would be more interesting to give that to Sinatra. I mean, what's weird about this is that none of the major players have this dramatic storyline. They've given it to someone, by my estimation, who's not a star.
2: Well, Sinatra, we keep calling them by their real names because they don't have much in the way of characterization at all to make them characters, but Danny Ocean has a bit of a dramatic arc, and having seen the remake, I thought I knew where it was going, and I couldn't have been more wrong, because he has a mistress, Adele, but he also has an ex-wife, Beatrice, and it seems like he wants to get back with Beatrice, and Beatrice wants him to just grow up, you know, that classic trope of a storyline, the woman wants the man to be responsible and settle down, and that's not what Danny Ocean is, and they have... Actually, my favorite scene of the movie is this dramatic scene with Danny and Beatrice going up to a bar and having a discussion where Danny's like... I'm not asking you to change just because I fell in love with you, and I am who I am, and she seems to really love him, but I thought the movie would end with Danny and Beatrice getting back together like he wants. No, they have one scene together, and Beatrice isn't really brought up again much. She has one other scene later for reasons I don't know. One of my
1: favorite scenes, actually. It's one of the comedy scenes, but Adele, the mistress, rings her up to stir up some trouble, and she ends up having some pretty good put-downs, like call me anytime. I love the idea of wasting your money
3: yeah this a plot subplot that goes nowhere i don't know why beatrice is in this film i thought adele was gonna maybe spill the beans that ocean's group was there and that's what would lead them to get caught but no i i guess again this is just some like you said Stuart, some comedy which i don't find too funny
1: You listen to the commentary, Arnie. I'm willing to bet that this script was changed and improvised and went through many permutations to get to where it's at uh, as the finished product. This can't be what they wrote.
2: Well, it actually just started with the idea of, let's get these guys together and make some money. And the plot, I believe, if I understood the story from Frank Sinatra Jr. right on the commentary, it came from a gas station attendant and somebody decided, hey, that would make a good movie. But... The story was pretty set. A lot of the dialogue, a lot of the scenes were ad-libbed. Apparently, Sinatra was completely undirectable. Like, after one of his scenes with Angie Dickinson, he walked out and just kept on walking, and would not do a second take, and Angie was like, but what if I was bad Frank? And gone.
1: (laughs) That doesn't surprise me at all, but yeah, that's how this movie feels like, and I do feel like we have a lot of scenes where characters are telling themselves the same information. They're like, oh, we gotta get this guy, because he's this? Next scene. Oh, here's this guy. You're like this because of this. I mean, I don't see that this as a carefully scripted plot unfolding in the way that you would expect, scene by scene. feels like people that have been told what the story is and they just walk out in front of the cameras and go okay i'm on
3: besides tony there's only two of this group that i really feel have a story here there's tony the electrician with cancer and all that and then there's jimmy foster played by peter lawford and i do kind of like his story. He's he's the rich, spoiled kid. He's never had to work. He gets his money from his mom. She's on, what, about to marry the Joker, Cesar Romero, Duke Santos.
2: Her sixth marriage, too. A criminal.
1: I mean, he might have even been the crown prince of crime. I don't know. <laughs> but he has underworld ties he's going to use later in the movie. She knows about it, and she's still like, oh, yeah, but he loves me.
3: Yeah, I do like those. I like that moment where Jimmy and Duke face off and Jimmy gets him to drink some alcohol that makes him sick. He he tries to play into his weakness. I feel like that kind of gives Duke a a motivation to want to go after them by the end.
1: Yeah, Lawford is one of the few here that doesn't sing. He's not a musician, as far as I understand. He was a British star that became an American Hollywood star when all of our guys were off in the World War II fighting. He he swooped in there and, and became a movie idol. And uh yeah, he just has a different energy, that I think, than everybody else. And I like the idea that he comes from privilege. I like the idea that he's not doing this because he's needs the money. He's doing it, I think, because it gives him a sense of independence.
2: Yeah, he doesn't like having to go to his mother and ask for the money. He wants to have his own, although he needs the money to get to Vegas to do it. Yeah, he, he, he <laughs> certainly has no problem ringing her up for $500. I actually enjoyed those scenes. I Again, I don't think comedy ages well at all, but the scenes with him and his mother actually struck me as jokes that still worked, you know, well, yeah. have I ever missed one of your weddings? Yes, the first, and just the bitter patter of dialogue, it was kind of that Hepburn and Tracy kind of back yeah. and forth, only between a man and his mother, and that, I think, is timeless, whereas a lot of the stuff with the prank calling to the... Oh, the worst, the worst! ...to Spiros, I mean, none of that... I'm trying to decide if this is a comedy, and would I be entertained by just these kinds of hijinks? The calls, oh, these guys are in the county morgue. Can you come identify the bodies? And then showing up,
3: and then watching that actor that plays Spiros have to do like the worst like sitcom acting. Oh, you might like, or when the cops show up with Louis Jackson and he's got his fake cast, just awful acting. All, you know, obviously it's supposed to be comedy. It's not funny.
1: Yeah, whenever the actors think they're funny, it's usually not. But yeah, again, I want to remind you, yeah, these screenwriters that are writing for these guys, they did write for Hepburn and Tracy. They were responsible for all that great joke telling. And I see that in bits and pieces in this movie. I am laughing out loud. I do hear those lines. Whenever, I'm sorry, you got Billy Wilder here on the payroll. He wins an Oscar this same year for The Apartment, directing and writing that movie, Best Picture. Yeah, they got real talent behind the camera. How well they're servicing the people in front of the camera is a mixed bag. But Jimmy's important. Tony's important. Danny's important. Dean Martin, I get the sense he was undirectable. He looks drunk in every shot, (laughs) and he basically is there to play the piano. I mean, every scene. I don't think he actually helps out with the crime. At some point, he's like, I know Vegas. I don't like these odds. I'm out. Okay, I'm in. You know, like, literally, the change is, like, within seconds. But he's a huge star at this point. He had just left Jerry Lewis to go out on his own and be a big dramatic actor. This wasn't the part for him. He just has nothing to do here.
2: And I primarily know him as Jerry Lewis's... Straight Man. I mean, I've seen some of those films. Yeah. Here, I know enough about the Rat Pack that I thought Jerry Lewis was part of it. I kind of thought he was in this movie when we were discussing doing it. So I just got confused. If Martin liked him, he would be in the Joey Bishop role. Martin in this, because I'd seen some of the Martin and Lewis stuff, I recognized him. I recognized him, Sinatra, Davis, and Bishop. And Mr. Roper and everybody else, I was really struggling to keep up with, including Tony. I mean, Tony just had most of the story. But to let the listeners know, I kind of thought we might be watching a black and white picture, but <laughs> at least what I saw was in color, but it's in that really bad color, and they're all dressing in the suits. I mean, it's just really what muted. What color are you talking about? The movie looks great. I don't know what transfer you saw, but mine, it's all shades of brown. The colors aren't vivid. It doesn't differentiate skin tones very much. I mean, Cesar Romero looked the same skin tone as everybody else.
1: I'm going to say this. I think the movie is a joy as an artifact of the time. I think it shows off sets and costumes. When we actually get to the casinos and they differentiate it with the different balloons and what have you, I think
2: it's a candy for the eye. I definitely don't think you can ding this movie for looking bad. No, I'm just saying it's color of the time color hadn't evolved that much and honestly because everybody's hair looks the same color and everybody's skin looks the same color well everyone is the same color for the most part other than sammy and caesar i'm even referring to the same shade of tan including Caesar, I have trouble telling them apart. They all have the same fucking hairstyle.
3: It's hard to tell them apart, and even more so when they're like, okay, we have Sammy, he's going to drive a dump truck, we have Tony, the electrician, and then everyone else, you're just going to work in the casinos. It's They don't even have specific jobs to set them apart.
1: There's Vince. I don't know if you remember Vince, but he's the guy. It's a
3: name I have written down. I don't know what
1: he did. <laughs> he has a slightly amusing scene where they have to coerce him early on. He doesn't want to do it, but because his wife, Honey, Face is stripping. Okay. You know, I he's got a honey face to think of. So to keep his wife off the pole, uh, actually, it's not even a pole. It's not that kind of stripping. It's more like with a boa and a shimmy. But for whatever reason, he's embarrassed that his wife has to dance for money. So he's going to rob the casinos for that. He's at least given a motivation. Everyone else, yeah, I saw a cowboy in here. And then it's a lot of blank faces. It's a <laughs> lot of people that can't
3: compete with the real stars of the movie. I knew the cowboy because he was the one blonde in the group. But what was the point of him having a bad arm? It was a prank haha weren't ha! you laughing? No. <laughs> They're giving Spiros a more of a hard time after all those prank calls. They faked him out with a fake cast.
1: Yeah, talk about odds here. They put every single chip they had on us just eating up Spiros. The uh, hyperactive, neurotic Greek that's always like, you won't return my phone calls, you're not rehearsing, what are we doing? And yet he has no stake in this. I mean, he literally is by the pool while everyone else is pulling the caper. And the caper, let's talk about what it involves. Because as far as I can understand, we have Sammy Davis Jr. cutting the power... We have the electrician having wired everything so that the auxiliary power, the generators, are going to kick open the doors.
3: Instead of the lights like they should.
1: Yeah. Everyone else is going to run in there without weapons and just take all the money. And all they got to do is like strong arm an accountant and no worries. They can get out of there because they've sprayed glow in the dark paint on their shoes and on doorknobs.
3: Yeah. And they're going to do this right after New Year's, right after midnight. They figure that. The entirety of Vegas is only going to take a minute and 38 seconds to sing all the enzyme. And then they break in and do the robbery right then while everyone's celebrating.
1: That's kind of ingenious. I got to say that that's just the chaos of New Year's Eve. Going out at such a production. I can't imagine in Vegas at the time how awful it would be to be a policeman trying to keep order. To hit every single casino on the strip. There's only five. Yeah, if you can figure out a plan to do it, that must be brilliant to stop the authorities. Because they're like, oh my God, we have to stop every person walking out the door. We have to go through every bag. We have to roadblock every car. It's crazy. How is a police force going to tackle all that's being required on New Year's Eve?
3: And my favorite part is there's always a twist to these heists. And the big twist is there's only one route at this time to get in and out of Vegas. And that's the problem. You could steal the money. But how are you going to get it out of there? I always love that part of the heist film, that twist with the extra hard thing that they got to do.
2: Yeah. What's interesting to me is... Stuart, you talked about Vegas not being back then what it is now. If there's one thing I know about Vegas, well, it's legal prostitution. But if there's two things I know about (laughs) Vegas, the second one is the high security in casinos. And- that they have cameras everywhere and guards everywhere and I mean you don't even think about robbing one of those places they will stop you before you hit the door and I realize that technology evolves security evolves but could it ever have been so bad that all they had was a locked door (laughs) hey hey, they had a security guard sitting
1: on a stool as well keep in mind probably a large portion of these casinos it's even heavily inferred here at the end of the movie are owned by mobsters. Mobsters have guns, lots of them. You don't screw them over and live. So it is weird that there are no life and death stakes here. There is one fatality, and it's by the guy who decides to have a heart attack uh, right there in the middle of the street. He's got bad luck. <laughs> and just to make sure I'm right on this, that was the guy with cancer, too, right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. He did it for the cancer, but he died from the heart attack. See, you weren't expecting it.
3: Because it's stupid.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they put too much of it on that one actor here. They just really gave him all of the plot details. And again, I think, how much better would this movie be if it were Danny Ocean giving it his one last go? You you give Sinatra something to do.
3: And how much shorter would this be? Like, okay, they got a mark. They get this infrared paint, and they're going to spray paint the cage door so they know where to go when the lights are out. They'll be able to put on these glasses to see that. Okay, you show us do it at the first one, and then you show us at the last one, you go, okay, we got them all. We fill it in with our mind. Nope, this is going to show us the exact same thing done at all five casinos.
1: I think they're banking on the fact that each person, you know, it's different people involved at each casino. They've been paired off each of these 11. So the idea is that they're each going to do something funny that will make it feel distinct. That, yes, it's very monotonous. It's the same thing being done at all five places. But because we got Joey Bishop at one, it'll be so hilarious when he sprays the paint on the doorknob. Yeah. (laughs) They ultimately fall to guest stars. I mean, you notice that eventually we suddenly have Red Skelton, a big star of Vegas, coming in there pretending that he has a gambling addiction, and then the casino pretending like they're not going to
2: (laughs) feed that addiction. They're going to actually not give him, (laughs) allow him to cash a check so he could lose more money at the casino.
1: Yeah, that was hilarious to me. Much funnier than any bit that he was doing was the idea that the casino had a moral standard and wouldn't let him fall into debt.
2: I was just laughing that back then, I guess... Celebrities didn't think about their image, and the fact that he looked like a drooling <laughs> gambling addict was not a problem. Yeah.
1: I there, thought that the, was his image. <laughs> yeah, the, the the PR on this is is not really good for anybody here. Shirley McLean, she's a drunk. She gets a scene with Dean Martin
2: wishing he, he, he was Ricky Nelson. Can I just say that I know her primarily from, like, steel magnolias and postcards from The Edge and that kind of stuff. She was hot in the 60s. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely.
1: And this was her big break. Again, The Apartment. I don't know if you've seen that film. It won the Academy Award for Best Picture the same year this movie came out. She was the star of that film. She got a lot of notice. She was the it girl of that moment. Having that cameo would have been the equivalent
2: now of having Jennifer Lawrence do a walk-on. The heist itself is honestly underwhelming when we finally get to it. You know, I am like heist films too, but a lot of the fun is seeing the heist pulled off, and here, yeah, they just kind of go in and say, give us money and then throw it in the garbage. I like the twist that it all is on the garbage man to gather it, but man, even James Bond films of around the same era were more exciting in their action moments. But again, I guess this isn't an action film at all. It's just we're supposed to be laughing.
1: And who do they have running the garbage truck? The black guy. I guess historically that might have made sense, but I just thought that was awfully unfair for Sammy to have to be the garbage man while everyone else gets to work the casinos on New Year's Eve.
3: And come on, Arnie, this heist is hilarious. Aren't you finding it funny how calm everyone is when the flights go out in Vegas? They just keep singing. They do a second round. Like, I'm like... Huh, I I would have thought there'd be more chaos, but no, everyone's in a good mood. I guess they're really drunk by this point. It was the 60s. It was a gentler time. (laughs) It was
1: really the 50s. I mean, it was turning into 1960s. Yeah,
3: definitely a gentler
1: time. They were just so happy that Hitler was dead still.
2: (laughs) (laughs) They were a little worried. So there might be a communist somewhere in the Vegas area, but that was about it.
1: Uh, I have to agree. And I want to just say, as someone that has been to Vegas many times, there's just something kind of fun about seeing these casinos in that time. Most of them are gone. The Flamingo is still there. The Riv is still there. The Sahara, mercifully, has been demoed. I stayed there once. It was, <laughs> yeah. let me tell you, ready to go, long past its shelf life. And then all of these others, it's just a they really shot on location there, and it really hadn't become the glittery... Disneyland version, all-ages family vacation that it has now been become in the 90s, the one that Clooney is going to have to rob. This is that first generation, and I just think as someone that wasn't born then, that never saw that Vegas, there's entertainment just to seeing that.
3: Yeah, no, I've always liked old Vegas. I remember being able to drive down Fremont Street when there, you know, it wasn't a big tourist attraction like it is now. And so it is fun seeing this kind of time capsule of a place that's really changed since then.
2: Yeah, I went to Vegas for my first time this year and... It's interesting to me to see it. I wish I could appreciate it more. There were some bonus features about a 25 minutes total comparing the hotels then and now and what they were called and what they are called. But it's so far removed from the Vegas I know that I almost can't appreciate it. Well, yeah, it's it's
1: really not there anymore. I mean, even the ones that are there are so different that it really, it doesn't feel the same. The only one that felt like it was of that time was the Sahara. And like I said, it's nice to be able to see the Sahara look the same, but be posh and lovely instead of desiccated and dead. You know, like that's what's nice about it is I can see
2: old Vegas back when it really was lush as opposed to just looking dingy. But once this is over, as we said, poor Tony falls over dead. And that leaves us with the last act of the movie, which is the guys on the run. Do we not want to see them get the money and go? I mean, I know you guys kind of talked about it earlier about how in the 60s they can't get away with it. I'm not sure I agree with that. I think you can have a fun, rascally villain robbing from casinos back then. A kind of Robin Hood type thing, even if they're just hoods themselves. And I expected them to get away with the money when I pressed play on the disc that the last half hour is them having to dodge Caesar Romero and the police because they connected Tony to them. I don't even know how they connected a dead man in the streets of Vegas to the heist. And these days... I'm not even sure if a dead man on the strip of Vegas is
3: an unusual (laughs) event. Well, yeah, Duke, who is dating Jimmy's mom, Jimmy is seen in Vegas. So they start putting it all together that Jimmy's running around with Danny and they were all in the Air Force.
1: It's Adele. It's that trampy girlfriend of Frank Sinatra just happens to be there. She's a grifter. So, of course, she's going to hit up Vegas her own way. She's been hanging out with Jimmy's parents. I have no idea why, other than they're rich. (laughs) Uh,
3: Damn, I was hoping for some answers to that. Everyone just is together for some reason. Like, they're all in (laughs) Vegas for New Year's for some reason. It's all coincidence at this point.
1: Yeah, staying at different hotels, but largely bumping into each other. She came to see the Sinatra show. Yeah, I guess (laughs) She did. But anyway, she's the one that kind of gets the ball rolling. I think that they could have given her a lot more to do. It would be fun to see her trying to get the money or trying to unhinge the plot. But really, she's just jealous and she just wants to embarrass Danny. She's not
3: out to destroy the Eleven. Yeah, this heist went over so easy. (laughs) Like was pointed out, they just kind of tell the people to give them the money and they hand it over. I want to see a complication. I don't like this complicated. I don't like that it's happenstance, that Tony just happens to fall over dead, and that's ultimately what's going to unravel this whole case. I like the fact that they're Duke's trying to find out who did it, and they're trying to get the money out a different way. I like all that. It's just the way everything actually unfolds is poor.
2: I'm a little okay with the happenstance of the heart attack being the fatal flaw. I wish... That when he saw the doc, he was told he had a heart condition and not cancer, so that it was a little set up. (laughs) Yeah. Or he died of a massive tumor or something. But I'm fine with that death happening unexpectedly, being the wrench in the works. Maybe if a guard shot him, that might have even been a little bit more because he would have died as a result of what they did, and that messes everything up. But the rest of it, how it's detected, the fact that Jimmy is in Vegas is enough. For Cesar Romero to suddenly go, aha, that's it. They couldn't possibly actually be having a reunion. They had to be the ones who pulled the strike, and then he's going to play both sides against each other. That's a little bit fun, but there should have been more detecting going on, and you can give me one fatal flaw in the whole plan, but just this... Compounds improbability upon improbability in a movie that I haven't found amusing. So I'm trying to cling to the plot, and that's not working out so well either.
1: I think it's pretty funny that he compares him to Hitler wanting Russia after he has Europe. But there's some funny to Caesar Romero. I would use more of him. Honest to God, if I were the studio head and of Warner Brothers, and they turned this movie in, I would find more money and tell them to shoot more stuff with Caesar and to cut out a lot of this beginning so that we could get to this storyline. Because what feels like like the climax, actually is their movie. The heist goes off without a hitch. Okay, if that's the way you want to do it, great, fine. But what should be happening, what should get us excited, is the idea that there's one man who could catch them before they get away with their money.
3: Yeah, they set up early on that this young versus old thing with Jimmy and Duke... Yeah, make that more of the plot. Make Duke trying to outsmart him. Get him back for making him drink that alcohol. I guess he's kind of doing that. I I just wish that was played up more because, again, Jimmy and Tony are the only ones that have any kind of real character in this film. So play more of that into here. Build up Duke. Yeah, I think Romero, I've only known him as the Joker. I've never seen him in any other role. He's a big, imposing fellow. I never realized that when he's in clown makeup in a purple suit. Imagine that. (laughs) I wanted more Santos.
1: He is actually kind of scary when he's not the Joker. Yeah. He plays a good mobster. But to me, yeah, you just needed things to happen. Certainly if you're not going to make it a musical. Either put more music numbers in here and write more songs other than the two that we hear again and again and again. we're <laughs> Or you do make it more of an action kind of thing. And, and it just feels like there's so many ideas that they kind of were going for and then abandoned. It feels like an improvised movie. And so, consequently, you have something that's not quite a comedy, not quite a heist movie, not quite of anything, really. But I guess they're kind of going for comedy right here at the end. There, there's some farce when they're putting on blackface to hide the money in the dead guy's coffin because they're counting on him being shipped back to San Francisco, and they can all be millionaires. And all they're getting, by the way, is $1 million apiece. There's only $11 million from robbing five casinos. That
2: was back when a $1 million was a lot of money. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I was thinking about that. They get about $11 million or so, and... Tony, he's knows he's dying. He's only worried about his son. Will it be enough to put my son through college? It'll be enough to buy a college. Really? Could you buy a college for a million in the 60s? Everything was less expensive back then. Can at least build one, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I,
1: difficult to know, but I, I gotta say, I just wasn't expecting it to get this kind of silly here. I mean, have you seen the rest of the film? Well, well, the, the man died. You would think that that would sober them. He was in their the same infantry as them. I mean, they did know and fight
2: right alongside him. They're war veterans after all, and they're turning him into a punchline. But again, they are war veterans. They say it's been a while since Danny lost a man on a mission, but war, you lose men on missions.
1: Yeah, you'd think it would impact them. We're told that Frank Sinatra is really broken up about it. I saw him scoff off the set, but that could just be because Frank wanted to go bed Angie Dickinson.
2: Wouldn't blame him. But then the final twist of the movie comes when they decide to pull one more heist to fool even Cesar Romero. Because if they can get the money out of town, he has no proof. So to get the money out of town, they're all going to put on blackface and make a racial joke from Sammy Davis. And get the money from the dump and put it in the coffin and they foolishly dropped 10 grand on the floor and don't even notice
1: no they didn't drop 10 grand on the floor yes they did they no they dropped didn't. the band yeah the, the band that was wrapped around it sammy davis jr they put all the money in there and then nice old sammy said we should keep something for the widow takes that 10 out and breaks the paper band around it and drops that
2: but no they kept the money Oh, so he was silly enough to just litter, and then (laughs) got them turned in.
1: Although, although oddly enough, that has nothing to do... It wouldn't have changed anything. It got... Cesar Romero to chase them down to the funeral, but it doesn't change the fact that the money is all burnt up because they, they hear this rumbling. It sounds like a drum. It, it sounds like they're building up to a punchline. Rim shot and it is that, yeah, she decided to, rather than move his body to San Francisco and bury him, cremate him.
3: Yeah, I w- Again, I was expecting Santos to influence her to make that decision. Not that he wanted the money burned. He wanted the money too, but it's just weird that, hey, I'm a funeral parlor owner and I want to save you money. Come on. No one's like that. But yeah, cremate the body instead. It's just, again, just another weird choice made with no setup. I don't think he wanted to save her money.
2: I think he wanted to get some business. He was a good salesman. Oh, why would you want to go Come back? On, to he could have I-
3: shipped that body. He could have made it some coin off that.
2: I mean, you're missing something obvious here. They already got past all
1: the roadblocks. The money is already free and clear. Why are they trying to put it anywhere? Why aren't they all leaving town? What if the guy didn't die of a heart attack? What was the plan to get away?
2: Well, the plan was you wouldn't have Cesar Romero on your tail. But yeah, why didn't
3: they just take the money and go? Sinatra didn't read that page of the script and did something else that day.
2: EO 11. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jacob Stewart, do you recommend Ocean's 11?
3: Jacob. You know, this one I did have to think about. I, I like heist movies, and I guess that's what was making me want to recommend it, just because I wanted it to be a good heist movie. I I know what we're reviewing next week. I like that film, but no, this, I can't believe how much time is wasted in this. Not just on unfunny stuff. There's a lot of unfunny stuff. No surprise that a lot of this was just improvised, and it's just Sinatra and Martin and the rest of the Rad Pack trying to be funny or whatnot. That stuff graded on me, but the, the fact that when we do get to the heist, that we got to watch everything happen. Happen five times. We're going to watch Tony switch the electricity in five different boxes. And there's never any excitement for me. There's never any real tension that I feel. There's things that go wrong, but I'm mostly just bored during this film. It's not a party for me. I've fallen asleep before midnight, not kissing any girls, taking any drinks. I'm snoozing. Not recommend.
1: Stewart. Yeah, let's be clear. This is a badly made movie. It is not a good movie by any means, sluggish and sloppy. But amazingly, I was never bored. I... Kind of stayed with it. I wasn't laughing, necessarily. It's kind of strange. I, I have no other comparative, really, to this other than, I guess, recently how I watched Maniac, the 1980 original version, just because I was so entranced with that era of New York. It held me through what was largely a plotless Plotting affair, I, I kind of feel the same way about this Vegas and this era. I'm not a, even a rat pack person. I'm glad we're not doing a rat pack retrospective, but as my one and probably only sampling of their work, I didn't mind it, but is ambivalence a recommend? I don't know. I a red arrow feels wrong, but a green arrow feels even more wrong. So I guess our scale just doesn't work for me in this one. I didn't mind this movie, but I certainly recognize it's a bad movie. And I think a lot of people will dislike it. So I'll go ahead and give it a red arrow for that reason. But I didn't dislike it. I like the concept and I'm looking forward to seeing
2: it get remade. I strongly disliked Ocean's Eleven. I came in with an abundance of goodwill. Hey, the Rat Pack, I haven't seen them. I hear good things, and I wanted to see it. I was very anxious to see it. And then, by the time we hit the 50-minute mark, or maybe the 70-minute mark, when the a lot of the movie kicked in and it wasn't just going to be random prank phone calls and whatnot. I already knew this was a not recommend, but it could have pulled out and been at least a we not recommend if it had been good once the heist starts, but it's not. This movie, my father loves the Rat Pack. He really loves all of these guys and all of their movies. Your father is Spiros. My father is Spiros and my father <laughs> is old. And I think if you're old, you like old jokes and so you'll like this movie and by old i do mean 90 and up <laughs> <laughs> wow if you're if you're listening to us through miracle ear recommend if you were with these guys in world war II, <laughs> you will find them funny but for anybody born in the 50s and beyond and the era i'm giving it i uh, not recommend <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's
1: plenty of other movies about war veterans from here to eternity or An American Paris. There was nothing original about this kind of setup that the gimmick really is the let's rip off Vegas and they got something there. I think that's why this will get remade. Nothing else about this may carry over into the movie we're going to discuss next week. But yeah, that hook is a good one. I want to see Vegas get ripped off. They knew that there was something to this.
2: I couldn't understand when I finished watching this movie, who would look at this and go, let's do that. I'm already admitted. I'm the fan of this series. So obviously what Soderbergh did when he took this property over, I'm going to be happy with, but man, I don't even see a shadow of it here. I don't know why you'd remake this movie and not make just another movie about a Vegas heist. Why remake Ocean's Eleven? Does this movie even have goodwill? I had never heard of it until the remake.
1: I think it has goodwill largely because it is the first time that all these cats got together and jammed, but it wasn't their best song. And yeah, I do believe their demographic is aging and and leaving this world. I, I guess we remake it because swingers and cocktail lounges came back in the late 90s. I think that there was a resurgence for this era and this style, and I think that, yeah, George Clooney and New Hollywood are going to try and see what they can
2: rip off and make their own. Well, we will talk about that next week. In the meantime, if you'd like to hear us discuss something much, much newer, instead of something that came out over 50 years ago, something like Opens Tomorrow, The Hobbit, The Battle of the Five Armies. I don't know what to expect with that movie, except I guarantee that the climax will be more exciting than the heist in this movie. I'm not going to guarantee that. (laughs) Well, that is our silver donation series, where we are... Coming up on the end of our pledge drive, it ends December 31st, and all of our bonus podcasts go in the vault, and if I can share with you a little tale of woe, while we were recording about a month ago, I had massive, catastrophic computer failure. I lost three computers in the span of a week. I had no computer upon which to record a podcast, edit a podcast, post a podcast. That happened to Stuart last year, right? You had no system. But we didn't miss our release dates. And that's because donors. We aren't rich men who would just be able to capriciously replace all this equipment with stuff that would continue to improve our audio quality. We need your help to keep going because things like this happen and our server crashes and my web host company comes and shakes their fist and they kind of look like Spiros. We want more money. And so I have to give them more money because more people are hitting the site. And so we need your help for that to happen. Your money keeps this show going. We don't have sponsors. We don't have advertisers. We don't have mothers who we can go to every time we need a new computer or to upgrade our server and have them write us a check like Jimmy in this movie. All we have is hopefully your goodwill. If you enjoy now playing, if you like this show, think about what you pay for itunes to just buy the latest taylor swift song you buck 29 there if you give us a buck 29 per show hopefully you find that a 90 minute conversation about a frank sinatra film is at least worth shake it off
1: (laughs) (laughs) to be settled in the forums
2: i think (laughs) or Nicki minaj's anaconda perhaps i mean We, every week, give the most we can for this show, and so we hope that you'll be able to support us with a donation of $15 or more. We'll get you reviews of all six Lord of the Rings films, or you can choose gold donations, same price, $15 or more for seven Leprechaun films. I was going to say, don't forget the Leprechaun films, but I already did. (laughs) (laughs) Origins will stay with me for quite some time. Because I own it on Blu-ray.
1: Oh! Yeah, if you like us doing grungy horror, well, that's probably the grungiest in a year filled with it. And if you want both, if you happen to like leprechauns as much as you like elves and dwarves and hobbits, you can get them all for the bargain price, $30 American. will get you all 13 of those shows, plus three others. Animated Hobbit, Animated Lord of the Rings from 1978 and Animated Return of the King.
2: But those shows are only available until December 31st, so please head to nowplayingpodcast.com, that slick new website Jason put together for us, and again, thanks to your donations, we're able to redesign the website and upgrade the site and make it look more modern and post a schedule for a change so all of that thanks to you so head to nowplayingpodcast.com click the banner and please support our show thank you for listening we'll talk to you next week because it's time for a little less conversation and a little more action
0: I have complied with your every
3: request. Would you agree? I would. Good, because now I have one of my own. Run and hide, asshole. Run and hide. If you should be picked up next week by a $100,000 sports car in Newport Beach, I am gonna be supremely disappointed because I want my people to find you. And when they do, rest assured, we're not gonna hand you over to the police, so... My advice to you again is this: run and hide. That is all that I ask.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing, and we hope you've enjoyed the show. This is the best part of my day. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another in-depth movie review. It's fun time, Jimmy Boy. And in the nowplayingpodcast.com archive, you can find reviews of other films, such as all the James Bond films, The Avengers, RoboCop, Rambo, Die Hard, Saw, and hundreds more. What, did you guys get a group rate or something? While at nowplayingpodcast.com, be sure to join our forums, where you can discuss this movie review with other listeners.
3: They told me to come see you. Oh, did they? Well, I'm sure glad they did. That's what they told me.
0: You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are at nowplayingpodcast.com.
3: I almost, I almost wasn't going to come over and say anything.
0: Then I'd still be sleeping. And please remember, your support is what keeps Now Playing operating. Our fall 2014 pledge drive is coming to a close. Support independent podcasting and get exclusive, bonus, Lord of the Rings or Leprechaun movie reviews. Even when we aren't running a pledge drive, you can donate using the PayPal button at our website all year round. Find the PayPal button as well as all the details at our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. I'd have to
3: pay you by check. Wait. Let's, or we could just stick to cash. Yeah, let's. Yeah, let's just stick to cash.
0: Now playing is edited by Arnie. That guy's a machine. Now playing credit narration by Brock. Been practicing the speech a little bit. then I rush? It felt like I rushed. It was good. I liked it. Now playing is not affiliated with Warner Brothers Studios. The Ocean's films are the property of their copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This town, you're lucky to change just that quickly. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts, and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. I love technology. Because to look at you, I'd swear you were being evasive, but the machine says you're clean. <sighs> I'm just a little nervous. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production. Copyright 2014. All rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media, Incorporated. Yeah. Turn
2: that off, will you? I'll turn it off when I'm ready to turn it's it off. It's off! It's off, it's off. Peter Lawford, Angie Dickinson, Richard Conti, Cesar Romero, <laughs> Joey Bishop. <laughs> Pillsbury Doughboy? No, that's... <laughs> no, settle. <laughs> <laughs> it's too bad Caesar and Pillsbury didn't cut an album together. <laughs> they would pair well together. Like Mick Jagger and David Bowie. They both wore pancake makeup, right? <laughs> yeah, let's riff on that concept for the next hour. <laughs> if they can do a movie with Whoopi Goldberg and a T-Rex as a cop duo, <laughs> let's do Joker and Pillsbury Dope Boy on the down. <laughs> We're going to review that
1: now. Fuck it. We're not even going to talk about the Rat Pack. Frankie who? We're talking croissants.
0: <laughs>
1: I am hungry. It's dinner
2: time. Yeah, I mean, mm. Peter Brady? <laughs> Marjorie's complaining, for some reason, the only movie on our Apple TV is Leprechaun Origins.
1: Sucks for you. Yeah, that, that is a reason to give up TV. Yeah. Scene <laughs> with Dean Martin wishing he, he, he was Ricky Martin, or no, not Ricky Martin, Ricky Nelson. She got a lot of notice. She was the it girl of that moment. Having that cameo would have been the equivalent now of having Shannon Elizabeth in your Ocean's Eleven movie. No. What's her name? Katniss. (laughs) Jennifer Lawrence. Jennifer Lawrence. Jennifer Lawrence. Do a walk
2: on. (laughs) It's neither
1: fish nor flesh.
2: Fish nor fowl, you went to Terrence Trent Darby again. Oh, is that not the expression? No, it is not. It's neither fish nor fowl. It's referring to food. Neither fish nor flesh is Terrence Shunt Darby's album name and nothing else.
1: Oh. Oh, okay. Well then I've been <laughs> I've been quoting him all my life.
3: That's why you get all those weird looks when you say it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Who knew you were a fan of his second album?
3: I, I, <laughs> I am well, it. I'm not surprised that Arnie was able to pull that out, actually.
1: <laughs>